0: realizing he was sick and I think anybody that who listened to him understands and knows that that's true for sure and he doesn't give up his pulpit just willy nilly and we're all thankful for that I'm sure um, I uh, have always said and told Brother Gum and others that I'm always willing I may not always be ready I may not always know what I'm doing but I'm always willing, have been, at least in the past. Amen. And I recall the, the account of a man one time who turned down an opportunity to preach the gospel and preach the word and ended up in the belly of a whale. Amen. And so I don't, be, I don't want to be another Jonah, so we're not going to do that. We would this morning, we'll start in Ephesians chapter 6. We'll read a few verses there, and then we'll move on to some other things. Beginning in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, where which ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And there's where we want to concentrate a little bit this morning. Let us read a couple more verses just to finish out the thought. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, the utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And the Apostle Paul is the writer here, and he was, as we will see in some other instances, very bold in the preaching of the gospel. It was difficult to shut this man up, Matter of fact, the only thing that did shut him up was death, and I'm sure he's praising the Lord in heaven today. But Paul went through so much, and when he was told, "Stop what you're doing," he didn't stop. We don't need you here. He stayed. There are occasions when he left because he people were not receiving the gospel, were not receptive to the Word of God, and as he said, "Shake the dust." off your feet as you leave that town as you leave that village you leave that home shake the dust off don't carry anything with you to those that refuse to repent and turn to god and brother uh tim's lesson this morning for those of you that may not have been able to hear it we were talking about uh in the book of second samuel talking about some people there who were made a promise they were not jews but they were made a promise that they wouldn't be killed and yet saw killed them he attacked them and David was making what today in this world today we call reparations well the difference from then and now David did he made a promise to this these people that he would atone for the sins of Saul and he did that but the difference then and now is that promises were made on behalf of God through Joshua to these people No promises were made to people earlier in our history. There's no need for reparations. We don't have a spiritual or an ethical moral obligation to pay for the sins of our fathers and their fathers and their fathers and so on like that. Uh, But this, God made a promise through Joshua that these people would not be killed and yet Saul attacked them. And so in the time of, uh, in time when 2 Samuel was written there and David was king of Israel, the Lord had... Caused a drought to come over the land, a famine to come over the land for three years. And David sought to find the problem, how to fix it. And as it turns out, this was this was because of the failure of Saul to honor the word of God through Joshua, his servant. And we do not want to be in that way that time. And so to now we're looking in Ephesians. We're talking about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And the word of God is so, so powerful. He spoke creation into existence Amen. i was listening to a man on a youtube video the other day his last name is gart g-a-r-t-e i can't recall his first name but he supposedly is called tagged labeled as a christian biologist and and it's done because he said he has to be a designer in creation Life had to come from somewhere. It didn't just spontaneously appear out of nowhere. Amino acids and proteins hit by lightning, uh, methane gas, oxygen, hydrogen, helium, all this. He said it could not, it's not possible, it could not just have appeared. It doesn't matter how much time you give it, whether it's a million years, billion years, multi-billions of years, it could not have appeared on its own. Amen. There had to be a creator. There had to be a design to build this. But that same man... Says that this single cell was designed and then it just flourished from there billions of years ago. Why do people do this? Why do they give God credit as to having the power to create life but not the power to do it in six days? How do you have that power that cannot exist from any other source than our almighty God? But they still not give him the power to make his creation in six literal days. I just I will never, ever understand that. And they say, oh, that's just too fantastic. Well, you go create life then. If it's too fantastic, you go create life. They can't do it. They can't even create a blade of grass that will grow on its own. You know, they say, well, if you do this and you do that and you put it in dirt. No, you've got to make your own dirt. Amen. You know, if you're going to create life, you've got to do it all. You can't do it. You can't just... Borrow from God's creation and throw it together and say, see what I did? You didn't do anything. All life comes from God. And so in our text here, Ephesians chapter 16, again looking, pardon me, Ephesians chapter 6, looking again at verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This, the word of God, our Bibles that we have in our hands, that we read and we study. This is our guide for life. This is. Is the power of God unto salvation, and so we look over in Luke chapter one, if you would, with me, please. The Greek word for word here in Ephesians is the same as in Luke. The Greek word rima, rema," meaning an utterance of the spoken word, in Luke chapter one, verse twenty six. This is an account of the angel that visited Mary, told her about having a son, Jesus Christ, who was going to become the Savior of the world. We'll read just a few verses here, Luke chapter 1, verse 26, start there. You've probably already found it, and I'm still catching up here. I'm leading from behind, aren't I? And the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent forth God unto, was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored. Notice, highly favored, not sainted, not to be worshipped, not an object of adoration. Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, "'Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David.'" And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, shall have, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this the sixth month with her who will, who was called barren for with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Again, according to thy word, the spoken utterance, the outward oral recitation of words, Amen. which is what happened was looking at back in Ephesians also here with Mary, the spoken word of God is very, very powerful. Here was a young maiden who knew no man ever prior to this point, and he, she was told she's going to conceive and bear a son. Well, how is that possible? With God, all things are possible, and this is something that Mary, along with others in her time, were going to be learning. Please turn a couple of pages over to Luke chapter five. Luke chapter five. We'll look to start with verse one. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. When God speaks, when Jesus Christ speaks, things happen. There is power in the word of God. Simon had already said, Peter had already said, we've already tried fishing, Lord. And we just came up empty. And Jesus told him to let down your nets on the other side. And they had a multitude of fishes. So the power of, God, the power of the word is great. It is very great with God. And we're going to see this going a little bit further here with um, walking the Christian walk. We have to trust that God's power will be evidenced through us and through our lives. And able to, be, to be able to withstand so, how do we use this sword of the Spirit, this power of the spoken word of God? We're making it by a Christian walk, being a Christian. If being a Christian today were a crime, and it's fast coming that, yes. and in many places in the world, it already is a crime to be a Christian. People are being persecuted, tortured, even killed for the cause of Christ today. 30, 40, 50 years ago, we might not have heard of those kinds of things going on, but it's always been that way, and it always will be. If you walk for Christ, you're going to be a target. And yet, so if being a Christian today were a crime, could you be found guilty? Could I be found guilty? If the police were coming down the streets rounding up Christians, would my name be on their list? Amen. Would my name be on their list? Am I spreading the word? Am I using the word and the power of God to present the gospel? As we'll see later, Paul calls by the foolishness of preaching. Matthew chapter 7, we are required to bear righteous fruit. Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. Jesus Christ speaking here. This is near the end of the, the what we commonly call what is Matthew five through seven, yeah, sorry, the mount. summer on the mount. Approaching the end, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs? Of thistles, You will know them by their fruits. And this goes both ways. This falls on the evil men as well as, as those who are Christ people. You will know them by their fruits. Today we have so many among us, not in our service here, but we have so many among us in this world. We see them on YouTube. We see them on television. We read about them in papers and magazines who pervert the word of God. Yes. And their fruits are born in the plains that they ride around in, the limousines, the diamonds on their fingers. That's their fruit. And as has once been said, it was a Joel Osteen who who talks about living your best life. Well, he probably is. And those that follow him probably are living their best life because the one that comes after is not going to be very kind to those who do not repent i not going to be very kind to those who do not follow the word of God, who pervert the word of God, who add to it and take away from it. And we see in Revelation the penalty for such things as this. And so here in, in Matthew chapter 7, we will know who they are by their fruits. And they are not teaching the word of God. And they are not endued with the power of the Holy Spirit through the word, which is the way it is meant to be. God's power comes through the preaching of the word. Looking in John chapter 13, and I'm sorry to just bounce you all over the folk, but I had to, in my preparation, I, um, you try to make it condensed things. You know, who was it? Oscar Wilde who said that brevity is a soul of wit. Oh, I'm not very witty this morning, so bear with me on this. John chapter 13, verse 34. The things that Jesus Christ has told the apostles and the disciples to do. And always, there's always throughout the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, and even the writings of Paul, there's always some contention among the people regarding the law versus grace. It's always there. It's always hanging in the back. This is one of the things that the Pharisees and the elders and other religious leaders of the day were constantly, constantly harping against Paul and the apostles and those who are Christians that you're not following the law. Is it is it lawful to do this on a Sunday? Is it lawful for a man to take his brother's wife after he's gone and so on and so forth? And so Jesus Christ speaking here says a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love, one to another. And so this is what Jesus Christ himself called a new commandment. Not a new gospel. Let's don't get that confused. A new commandment. Paul said, more than, Paul said you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world, a city that sits on a hill. So, oh, pardon me, that was Jesus saying in Matthew. So we are, in large part, the reason that God's judgment has not fallen upon this earth as it is if you recall back with Sodom and Gomorrah how that Abraham pleaded with God pleaded with the angels pleaded with the men and one of those Jesus Christ pleaded said well what if I can find 50 people what if I can find 10 righteous even just one righteous and God said if you can find them you can find these 10 righteous I'll spare the city and so God's wrath was spared would have been spared if those righteous had been there But they were not. And so there are not very many of us left. And we're becoming fewer and fewer every day. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. We want to let our conversation and our manner, that's our character, let our conversation, which is how we live our lives, our outward appearance to others, we want it to display the gospel of Christ. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, what could Paul mean by that? For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Well, he meant that by dying, he was going to go be with his Savior, Jesus Christ. He was going to be out of the concerns of this world. And if anybody suffered in this world, it was Paul. He said, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. Now, this is what's coming. He says, if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. What I have today, if I live in the flesh, this is all there is. This is my reward here and now, if I live in the flesh. And that's true of all of us and everyone else. If you live in the flesh, that's your reward for now, whatever it may be. Not, you're not saving up rewards in heaven. He says, yet what I shall choose, I wot not. What's coming? He's going to tell us what he's choosing. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart, in other words, to be with Christ, to die, to be with Christ, and so to be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. You cannot imagine, I cannot imagine the sacrifice that Paul made in this life just to be able to preach the gospel, just to be able to send out the word to use it to seek out the salvation of others in acts chapter 16 paul and silas were in philippi they had met lydia who was a woman who sold purple they dwelt in her house lydia was a christian woman and she uh, she was baptized paul baptized her and so she entreated them to come and stay in her home and then after this was after afterwards and paul left her house he went and he was on his way to prayer one morning, and he came across a woman who was a fortune teller, a soothsayer. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to turn to it. I've cut myself off there. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. I typically will write these things down or keep them in my notes, but I cut that one off. And so the next morning, they, were, they had been in Lydia's house, and they came out and said, had bought her masters much gain by Sue saying." The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Now, she wasn't trying to preach here. She was mocking him. She was mocking Paul and Silas. He said, these men here, these are the servants of the Most High God. They show us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that same hour. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace and to the rulers and brought them to the magistrate saying, these men being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison, and made their feet fast in stocks. And so here, another occasion when Paul was persecuted, when he was punished for preaching the word. And so this woman, who was a fortune teller, who had a demon inside her, uh, Paul cast the demon out, and her masters, the woman, the people, the men she worked for, were angry. Saying, that he's taken away the method that we have of making our living. We can't make a living anymore with this woman. They took him to the magistrates in the the town square in the center of the city. They stripped Paul and Silas and laid many stripes on them. And we're not talking about stripes like I got when I was a kid. My grandmother, wonderful woman, godly woman, when I needed a little correction, I was sent out to choose the switch that I was going to get my little legs striped with. And, oh, you don't want to come back with one little twig. Oh, no, she'll wear that out on you and send you out for another one. Those stripes that were on my legs as a child, when my grandmother whipped me for things that I had done wrong, it wasn't maybe hours at the most. They were gone. That's not what happened to Paul and Silas. They didn't lay them out here and say, oh, there you go, be on your way. They were whipped with bull whips, sometimes perhaps even with a cat-of-nine-tails. Their backs were torn open. They wore these stripes the rest of their life. This wasn't something that just healed in a matter of hours or a day or two. They wore these stripes the rest of their life. And Paul had been been beaten a number of times, uh, even to the point sometimes where they thought he was dead. And one occasion, Paul was stoned. That crowd was so angry, they stoned him, and they thought they had killed him. Now, he had to have lain unconscious, barely breathing, just so shallow you couldn't even see it. But they had stoned him so badly, they thought he was dead, and they dragged him out of the city and laid him outside the gates of the city. And then some brethren came along or were with there and observed it. And they went to retrieve Paul thinking, probably thinking, it doesn't say this, I'm just guessing, probably thinking, well, you know, we need to to take our brother, collect his body, and, and, and do right by him. And instead, Paul sat back up, and he hadn't died. But can you imagine what he must have looked like? Stones beat about his face and his head, his arms, legs, the bruises, the gashes, the welts, the swelling, The man was mistreated so horribly, horribly. And yet he got up and continued. And got up and continued to preach the word. Turn if you would with me please to Exodus chapter 1. This is, uh, I'll try not to stay here too long. This area here in, in the scripture are some of my favorites. So many lessons, so many. Exodus chapter 1. Verses 8 through 14, we're talking about the power of God. Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when there falleth out any war... They join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters and afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because the children of Israel and Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter and hard and with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. And God heard their groaning. God heard the children of Israel. In verse 23, and it came to pass in the process of time, the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of their bondage, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. So he sent Moses to be their deliverer. We all, we know the narrative, Moses being called by the burning bush. Moses, take your shoes off, you're walking on holy ground. And this voice coming out of the burning bush and calling him to service, and Moses says, I'm not, I'm not able, God. I, I can't speak. Well, your brother Aaron can speak for you. And so when God calls, you need to answer. But Pharaoh was very possibly the hardest master of all the kings and pharaohs before him. But God raised him up specifically to accomplish his own purpose. When Moses went to the Pharaoh to deliver the message about the Israelites... His response can still be heard today from the mouths of the condemned. Look at Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness, where under the cloud all passed pass through the sea. And we're all, I'm sorry, I've got, excuse me, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to have to stop this uh, trying to copy down my scriptures and just turn to them. It's probably operator error. It's not my computer. I can't blame my computer. I'll just blame myself. That's where it lies. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, and that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is this Lord? that I should obey his voice to let Israel go. I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And those words echo down through the ages from evil men of all ages, of all generations, of all times, and especially today, perhaps more than ever. Who is God? There is no God. Why should we serve somebody that's invisible? Where's the evidence that there's a God? The scripture tells us that even nature itself declares there is God. And so men today are saying the same thing that you're that God has no power there is no God there is no real God who and and just as Pharaoh said who is the Lord he was an idol worshiper who is he that I should obey his voice and let Israel go I know not the Lord and there will be a day when Jesus Christ standing in the white throne judgment will say I know not you I don't know you Pharaoh's already seen that fate he already knows he's already had his Judgment as far as being in hell, dying and waking up when he chased the Israelites down. And when they ended in Exodus chapter 15, after they had all left Israel, they spent several days in the wilderness moving towards the Red Sea. The Lord parted the sea, let them come across, and they got through. And after the other side, they sang a song of rejoicing, a song of praise to God for his mercy and his deliverance. And then in verse 4, Pharaoh's, this is Exodus 15, verse 4, Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the sea. Destruction is the end of all those who do not believe in God. Destruction is the end of all those who will not serve God, who will not worship God, who will not repent before God, who will not have him as their Lord and master. Look further down in verse 17 for the scripture saith unto Pharaoh even for this same purpose have I raised thee up that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will he hardeneth. God raised Pharaoh up as an example to the world. He raised him up so that he could destroy him. And show his power, exhibit his power. And it's not just because Pharaoh was killed and drowned in the Red Sea. The power of God was evidenced through the ten plagues. Each one, when Moses and Aaron went and told Pharaoh, let the people go, and he refused. His heart was hardened. He refused to do it. God displayed his power against Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Until finally in the end, the last plague, the death of the firstborn, including the son of Pharaoh. And that's when Pharaoh said, let him go. And after they had gone, he had a change of heart. God caused him to have a change of heart. He decided to chase them down. And that was the final end of Pharaoh and his ultimate destruction. Go with me, please, back to the New Testament. Romans chapter 9. Start with verse 1. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow of heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Who are Israelites? To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises? Whose are the fathers? And of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed, forever. Amen. Amen. Paul was telling the the folks here, as we were leading up later in in chapter 9 there, uh, he makes reference to Pharaoh and the children of Israel. And he was making a point with them here that the power lies in God, it lies in Christ. Christ is the giver of life, Christ is the one whose salvation and Pharaoh rejected God. He rejected God's word, and therefore he was slain because of it. I wanted to go, please, and I think it's Acts chapter 16. Let's look at Acts chapter 16, and we'll wrap up here in just a moment. This is where we began. Chapter 16 and verse 35. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeants, saying, let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go now, therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privily. Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and besought them and brought them out, and desired them to depart of the city. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. And Paul was given a reprieve here. Those who had condemned him, those who had punished him, had beaten him, had laid stripes upon him, sent him to prison, Told the, the jailer, don't let them out. Make sure you keep these men in the prison. Uh, he put them in the inner cells, in the inner prison, would be more difficult for escape. Of course, Paul and Silas were not going to try to escape anyway. They didn't know that. But the next day they come out and they learn that Paul is a Roman citizen. And they realized that he had been condemned without a trial. They had broken the law by treating him and Silas the way he had. And now they were sorry for it. And so they, they decided before they would be any, suffer any loss themselves, they said, well, get them out of prison. Let them go. Get them out of there. They thought that they were doing the, their own bidding. And yet here it's the word again, the word of God, the power of God that has released Paul and Silas from their bonds. It's the power of God that's convicted the hearts of others that they have done wrong. And yet they still refuse to turn to God. There will be a day, there will be a reckoning when everyone will stand before a righteous judge, Amen. Jesus Christ, and have to give an account of what they, the sins that they had in this world. Amen. Except for those who accept Jesus Christ's sacrifice on their behalf. Jesus Christ died for the sins of his people. And in throughout the ages, people have been tortured. Brother Gum, very shortly, soon is going to be teaching the trail of blood again. And when he does, we will hear more and more about those who stood up and refused to bow before the evil world, those who refused to give up and stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, those who refused to give up their Bibles and scriptures and stood and were condemned, punished, they were burned at the stake, they were hanged, they were boiled. All manner of ways that our brother and sister have been mistreated over the centuries for the cause of christ paul said five times have i been have stripes laid on me i've been shipwrecked three times he listed the things that had happened to him in his life why not why would this brother not rather go be with god when that's when he was stoned and he was given up for dead he might rather have just gone ahead and died to be with christ but he knew that he still had a mission to fulfill he still had a job to do and so do we we have a mission to fulfill. If being Christian were against the law, could you be convicted? Could you be convicted of it? I ask myself that constantly. And I, I, I try and I try to live up. And, of course, I can't do anything on my own. Uh, it is the power of God unto salvation. It's his word. All we can do is preach it. All we can do is speak it and leave it with him. And so you, we come across many today who not only think that it's their job to build a giant church and regardless of how many compromises you have to make to do it, they not only think that, they think that they're, are they claim to be doing God's work. Some of them know they're not. Some of them know that they're just outright grifters. They're just outright trying to fool the people and get the money. Uh, but some may even sincerely may sincerely believe they're doing the right thing. Sincerity doesn't save you. Repentance is what saves you. Repentance. And Jesus Christ and God calling you to be his own. Paul answered the call. Adam answered the call. God walked in the Garden of Eden looking for Adam. God knew where he was. He didn't have to find him. But he called out Adam's name. Adam, where art thou? Adam, here am I, Lord. Here I am. Here I am, Lord. He knew who he was talking to. He was talking to God. And he answered He knew he was wrong. He knew he had sinned. He had attempted to cover his own sins. And yet it didn't work. But at least when God called, he answered. Jonah eventually answered and did as he was bid to do eventually. Paul, when he was struck down on the road to Damascus, he knew. And people in this world do too. He knew who it was that called him. He knew who it was that struck him down and blinded him. In his first words, after after having been blinded called called him lord he knew it was the lord god almighty and people today will ignore it and if you have heard the voice of god you'll know it there's not going to be any doubt there's no guesswork people say sometimes and i've heard them say well how do i know how do i know you'll know god's not going to leave any doubt in your heart and your mind you're going to know if, if you're called but the call is not to riches and glory the call is to repentance, and it's that repentance that separates us from those who think that they're going to take over and do, do a, a religion in their own manner, in their own way, using their own words, rather than the power of God. Amen. Brother God.